Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Wednesday, April 27th. This is the Eye on College Basketball Podcast. I've got Matt Neulander with me. i got Sam Bassini with me. And uh, we are uh, pretty deep into the offseason now. The coaching carousel has, has mostly stopped. The deadline uh, for underclassmen to make themselves available for the NBA draft uh, has passed. 117 underclassmen um, have made themselves available, the majority of whom um, have not yet hired an agent. So, uh, Sam, I'll start with you on this particular subject. And we're going to get to the North Carolina amended notice of allegations uh, here in a bit. But on the subject of, of the underclassmen who are on the official NBA early entry list, is there anybody uh, that surprised you? Is there anybody um, that whose name wasn't there that surprised you? Yeah, I mean, I think the clear one is Ivan Rabbit Cal. Uh, he's a guy that would have been a top like 20 pick, I would say. Something in that area could have been a lottery pick, but top 20 seems safe. Um, him not declaring is a huge, huge deal for Cal, first and foremost. Uh, I mean, Kwanzaa Martin now has a team back that'll be, you know, him, Jordan Matthews, Jabari Bird. Uh, that's a pretty solid team next year. I don't know they're like a top five team in the Pac-12, but, you know, they'll have a chance at an NCAA tournament berth again. Um, as far as some other guys here, I mean, the other surprise I would say is Thon Maker, the fact that he actually got in to the NBA draft. There was a lot of question as to whether or not he'd get into the NBA draft once he decided to declare. Uh, he's going to have a draft stock that is all over the place. Some people think that, you know, with some really strong workouts, he could be a, you know, top 15 pick with, uh, some bad workouts. He could be, uh, like the last pick in the NBA draft. People think he's going to get picked. But it's just kind of a question of where at this point. Um, as far as, you know, who else is at least interesting, I think that the biggest decision for a single team remaining is that of Isaiah Whiteheads. Uh, he is so tied to how Seton Hall will perform next year because he's such an integral part of their offense. Um, and he was also like a top five player over the last two months of college basketball. That's not an exaggeration by any means. He was that good coming down the stretch for the Pirates and Kevin Willard. So him deciding to stay or go is going to be probably the thing that I have my eye on most as far as his draft stock. Uh, his It's a bit murky right now. Uh, I would say anywhere from like 22 to 40 at this point because as you'll find right now, this draft, because it's such a bad I mean, for lack of a better term, draft class and such a low end draft class. There's a lot of fluidity in that range from, you know, maybe like 21 through 40. Like th these kids that are declaring that are trying to like kind of figure out where their stock is. They're doing so because a lot of them have a legitimate chance to go like in the first round. Like a guy like Jerron Blossom game. I know that he's you know, someone that's under the radar right now. And a lot of people don't really know a whole lot about him, but he's a six foot seven dude that's athletic as hell and can shoot the three ball, at least at a respectable level. Like a guy like um, Malik Pope, who's been, you know, much maligned really over the last like year and a half because some draft experts decided to put him, you know, in the top 10. Uh, and he really wasn't ready for that yet. Uh, he had a big second half of the season. If he ended up going in like the 25 range, it wouldn't surprise me. A lot of these guys like have a legitimate chance uh, in this draft class particularly. So I don't really begrudge most of these choices. You know what I mean? Like there, there's no reason to not declare for this NBA draft if you're a student athlete, in my opinion. Well, that's the thing. Like even even with Rab and listen, maybe he just knows he has no interest in being a professional right now. He, you know, he's from that yeah. area, so he's home. Um, that can sometimes be uh, a lure. I know at, at Memphis, although Diedrich Lawson has, has made himself available. like That's another guy, by the way, could easily sneak into the bottom of the first round. Right, but uh, most people don't think he wants to, like, uh, that was all leverage play that we don't even have to get into. I, I've written about it uh, too much, probably. But, um, you know, uh, home, he's home. You know, he's from Memphis. Yeah. He's at Memphis. He, he doesn't necessarily want to leave right now. And, and I, I think that can also... Um, apply to Rab on some level, like he's he's near home, and and uh, maybe maybe that can be the pull back to campus. So if he doesn't, 
If he just knows he doesn't want to leave school right now, doesn't want to be a professional right now, then good for him. He doesn't have to. But your larger point is exactly right. There's no harm in doing this. And that's why I don't, to use your word, begrudge any of the 117 underclassmen who have made themselves available um, because most of them have uh, maintained their amateur status, at least to date. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're given the opportunity to go get information, to go, you know, work out in front of franchises, to maybe go to the combine. And then you have till May 25th to, to withdraw. Like, uh, there's been a lot of criticism about this uh, sort of rule change and, and how, um, you know, it's led to, you know, literally more than 100 people declaring for the draft, many of whom might not actually be draftable. But like, so what? Like, I, I like it doesn't bother me on any level that they're doing it or that they're allowed to do it. Like, I'm I'm sort of, I guess, in favor of young people being allowed to get as much information as possible before they make what could be you know, what will actually be life altering decisions. And so, like, yeah, this, yeah, like this, this might not be perfect, but it's better than, it, you know, from my perspective, it's better than it used to be because uh, the student athletes had more rights now than they've had before. Uh -huh. And I'm, I'm for that. Yeah, like, here's the thing. Like a lot of the criticism of this rule has been about like, oh, these kids, like they're not going to they're not going to be picked and they're making a mockery of the process. Or it's been, uh, you know, these college basketball teams are kind of left in the lurch while these kids decide. And I'm just I don't get that at all. Like, <laughs> why would you side with the multimillion dollar uh, NCAA basketball coach uh, over the student athlete who is not getting paid? Like, why do you, why, why would you default to that side of the argument? Yeah, I don't like, get it. Yeah, I don't like, get it. Yeah. Norlander, um, I think you're on the same page as us here. Like, I, I think we all recognize that um, this probably makes a college coach's job a little more difficult because they, you know, for instance, Kevin Willard, uh, you know, is sitting at Seton Hall right now. He doesn't know if he's going to have his best player or not. And he won't know till presumably uh, May 25th, you know, for another month. But, like, so what? He makes a lot of money. Like, deal with it. Your job got harder. It doesn't bother me. My, my job's harder than it used to be. I think most people's jobs are harder. You know, like, I just, I, I fundamentally do not care. Should I care? No. I mean, if you told Kevin Willard, hey, listen, uh, Kevin, you got one or two options here. Isaiah Whitehead's just going to be okay. He'll return next year. But in exchange for that, you know, you might barely crack into the tournament. Or, Kev, or you know, you're going to win the biggest tournament. Isaiah Whitehead's going to have an absolutely insane year. He's going to extend, uh, you know, your coaching contract and, and put you in a much better position going forward. Obviously, Willard would take the situation that he's in now, okay? So I have no sort of sympathy for coaches that are obviously in tough spots. You know, coaches, college basketball coach is going to go college basketball coach, and every one of them is bitching about this rule. I, I just don't give a damn. Uh, frankly, you had it your way for years upon years upon years, the kids have a right, and by the way, a lot of these kids of the 117 names, a lot of them are not going to get near the, um, I think, interest level that they think they're going to get. And so there you go. Then they're going to have their answer. They're going to go back to campus. They're going to go back to their roster. And by the way, every single coach is going to take them because the fact of the matter is if you are at a talent level or a potential level where you're even considering, and this would be true of 99% of the cases, then your coach is going to want you back. They're not going to have some sort of, you know, this, this spurned feeling for you whatsoever. It's a rule that should absolutely stay in place. Uh, I, I just don't side whatsoever with this notion that because it puts college basketball programs in limbo for eight weeks, that it has to be some sort of um, compromise going forward. No, F that. No, this is how it should be. These kids should have the, yeah. the right to have ample time, not just three weeks after the season. This is this is good. This is after the lottery is, is settled. Let them get until the end of May to get these evaluations, the ones that are able to get private workouts with a number of different programs. Let them do that. They absolutely have the right to it. You know what? College basketball, it's coaches, it's programs. They're going to adjust. Trust me. They always do. They're always trying to adjust and, and to all sorts of different rules. We have all sorts of things. The sport is continually evolving. This is just the latest wrinkle. I'd be really uh, – I don't upset's not the right word, but I, it would be annoying if this thing got – switched and if, if college basketball coaches somehow were able to uh change the rules in the next year or two i just don't think that's the right way to go and by the way a quick note on rab 
that's pretty shocking to me because in recent years, I mean, last year you had Chris Dunn, but we didn't have the rule. The year before that, McDermott was seen as a top 20 pick. He came back and was better for it. Dunn was probably better for it the years before that. Pirtle, absolutely. You remember uh, Cody Zeller could have gone after he was a freshman. Alex Mm -hmm. Len could have gone. They were top 20 picks projected. They both ended up being top five picks. So in recent years, we've had a couple of instances with guys that didn't go, that could have, and they were better for it. I, I think that'll be the same case with Rab, even though next year's draft will be good. I just don't know if we'll see what's happening this year with Rab, if we'll see that happen again. Like, it's almost been a given on a yearly basis where you get at least one player, at least one, that's a top 15, top 20 pick that still decides to come back. But now, since you have this rule testing, like, he should just I, – I just can't believe he didn't even put his name in. Like, I just don't think we'll see this again if the rule's in place here where you'll have a guy considered to be a lottery pick not even go through the process. You might have guys in the future that, that ultimately decide to come back that are projected as top 20 picks, but they'll at least go through the process. He's not even doing that, so I think that's just – I think it's it's somewhat shocking, but as Sam said, really good for Cal, too. Yeah, well, it, well here's, here's the other thing, too. I mean, Thomas Bryant's another guy that's right. in that same mix as Ivan Rabb. Uh, he would have been, I think, a first-round pick this time around. And depending on how he worked out, the teams have some questions about his quickness uh, and whether or not he's going to be able to defend screens in space. But he's also one of the younger players in this draft class, um, or in this uh, freshman class, I should say now, that he's not in this draft class. Um, he could have gone in the lottery this year. It wouldn't have been crazy to me to see him called in the lottery. I think he would have been more you know, in that like 17 to 22 range probably. But... Uh, he's another guy that I was a little bit surprised did not declare. But again, I think that uh, one of you guys brought up the point that some guys like just know that they're not ready. Right. And don't really see the purpose of it. Like I talked to Chris Stapps Porzingis about this last offseason. And, you know, he was a guy that NBA scouts have known about for, you know, three years, four years before this. He was, you know, an all-tournament team at the, I think, the U16 or U17 tournament. Uh, like, people know, people have known about Chris Stapps for a while. And I asked him, like, point blank, you know, you could have been a top 10 pick in the 2014 NBA draft, but you decided not to declare. What made you do that? And he just straight up told me, you know, I don't, I did not think I was ready yet. I did not want to go over to the United States and play among you know, the best players yet. My body wasn't ready for that yet. And I think I see a lot of similarities with how Ivan Rab is. Rab's body is not ready to take that punishment yet uh, of the NBA. He would have been in the D League pretty heavily next year. Um, yes, he would have been getting paid, you know, something like $2 million a year. And there's a trade-off there, obviously. But Rab is a guy that I think, given what we saw this year, is a relatively high floor guy at this point because he's uh, so polished. That's right. As long as he doesn't get injured, uh, which, you know, he'll probably get some sort of insurance policy at this point. Uh, you know, I, I would by all means suggest that for him. And I would be very surprised if an insurance agency would not give that to him. But uh, he's the kind of guy that it's going to be hard to see him fall out of the first round at some point. Well, that, that's exactly the, the difference between, say, he and Scalabissier, where, like, Scal, mm-hmm. you could see his floor really, really drop because, like, what if he comes back and he still doesn't reach yeah. his potential? Whereas Ivan Rab, like, Ivan Rab's going to be a good college basketball player, great college basketball yeah. player next year. Like, he's not going to just suck. So, like, yep. you know, barring injury – um, he'll be he'll be fine, and you know he'll what? Be like I, a fifteen and ten guy next year. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Barring basically injury, write that on, write that down. Right. <laughs> yeah, like he's not gonna suck at basketball in college next year. Whereas Scow, and I, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but like he might have, and him him sucking again mm-hmm. would have would have really um, cost him a lot of money. I don't think Ivan Rab's gonna cost himself uh, a lot of money. And I used to. And have, it's exactly the same thing with Thon Maker. Like, what if Thon Maker would go to college right. next year and? either be ineligible for college, which uh, a lot of people had some concerns there. And uh, what if he just wasn't ready for the college game due to his body, Uh, which that was entirely possible. And given the backlash in regard to his game already, uh, I mean, there's been plenty of that. Uh, I think that he's made the absolute right decision as long as the NBA let him in, you know? Here's what what I would say. It's sort of a different point, but I, I think it's worth saying. Um, I used to have grand opinions, like really strong opinions about what everybody ought to do. Like, this kid's a projected top 10 pick. He's got to go. He'd be stupid. And I had a conversation with Marcus Smart a few years ago during his, I guess it would have been his sophomore and final year of college. And, like, Marcus Smart 
I think Travis Ford told me that another guy that would have been a lottery pick the year before. He would have been yes. like a top five pick. I want to say Orlando. Yeah. I want to say Travis. Orlando loved him. That's what. Yeah. And when they took Oladipo, is that right? I, I think, don't know that he would have gone number two, but like there were people around that liked him a lot. And he remember, would have gone in the top five to them. I remember Travis Ford telling me that he was told and that he told Marcus, you will be a top three pick. Like if you want to come back mm-hmm. to school, great, but you will be a top three pick if you enter the draft. Now, whether that's true or not, well, you know, who knows? You never know, I guess, till draft night. But uh, he, he would have been a top five pick, no question. And so I sit down with Marcus um, – early in his sophomore season. And I was just like, help me make sense. Like, why? Why go back to school? And he said, I just didn't want to leave school. Like, I was living with my best friends. Um, I, I liked being in college. I wanted the opportunity to be a national player of the year. I wanted an opportunity to, um, you know, play in the Big 12 again, to try to take Oklahoma State to a Final Four. Um, I, I just, I, I weighed everything. And I just didn't want to leave school, period. I just didn't want to give up the life that I have right now. Big man on campus, living with my best friends, playing with my best friends. Um, I, I just, I preferred to do this for at least another year. And I said, you know what? At the, like, I don't want to say that moment clarified things for me, but it made me uh, sort of back off a little bit and, and, and take a, this approach. As long as the, 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 the student athlete understands what's real and what isn't, like he's got good information. Like he knows, hey, if you enter the draft, you might not get picked. If that person still wants to go, I don't care. And hey, if you if you stay in school, you're passing up millions of dollars or at least delaying millions of dollars like Mike, Marcus Smart did. I don't care either. Like I can't put a value on on uh, on what sure. that might mean to come back and do another year uh, with your best friends in, in a in – a, in a situation that you want to. And so if that's what Ivan, like I'm, I'm confident Ivan Rab understood he was going to be a top 20 pick in this draft. And, and he weighed all that and his parents, presumably, and Conzo helped him. And, and if he decides, Hey, I just don't want to be in, you know, in the, a professional right now, I sort of like living the life I'm living. Like, I'm fine with that. I really, you know, and, 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 and I'm fine with it the other way too. Some kids will just want to be in school. They do not want to give up the life that they have. That was, Yep. Um, that was Marcus Smart. I think before him, that was maybe Tyler Hansborough, like many years ago. Um, some kids, on the other hand, they don't want to be in school, no matter what. So they're very happy to give up the opportunity to be, you know, the Big East player of the year to go play in the D League because they just don't want to be in school anymore. And guess what? I'm fine with that, too. And if some kids mm-hmm. make bad decisions, I've never been bothered by that either. You hear it all the time. You know, but the problem with this rule is, you know, they, they're going to get out there and, and, and make themselves available. And some of these kids are just going to, you know, they're going to really uh, make bad choices. I don't care. You know who I, you know what kids I care about, whether they make good choices or bad choices? Mine. Your own? My two kids. I, I leave it every, I leave everybody else's kids up to them. And the other thing is we never get bothered. Like there are kids every day who drop out of college, every, not every day, well, probably every day, every year who drop out of college for dumb reasons chasing their dream. Somebody drops out of college to go start a band. Somebody drops out of college because uh, they want to uh, be a professional uh, poker player. Somebody drops out of college because for whatever Or like they, to start a business, to like start even a, like a more like practical pursuit right. like, that would be more respected among people. You and know, it, like yeah. people do that all the time. And unless you're worried about those kids too, I don't understand why you're worried about the basketball players, but people are always worried about, oh, I just, you know, I just don't like this uh, early entry stuff because I just don't want these kids to ruin their lives. Well, like, go worry about somebody. Unless you're worrying also about the kid at the University of Oregon who dropped out to go start a rock band, shut up. Like, you don't really care about the kids. You just care about your basketball program. Like, am I wrong here? I agree with you. Uh, I think that the counter to you would be that, uh, there are so many gatekeepers in the NBA uh, as far as information that people want to make sure these kids are getting the right information. I think that in a lot of ways, what we're talking about here, it, it's more selfish than that. It's more that they don't want college basketball to be ruined because they enjoy college basketball. And, and obviously, uh, you know, the game is tied to the talent that uh, is involved in, you know, playing in college hoops. Mm-hmm. Having said that, though, like, I think that these kids are going to get good information. Like I I do hope that in some regard, the NBA allows them or gives them a little bit of leeway as far or the NCAA really gives them a little bit of leeway as far as like, you know, 
getting some sort of representation, like in quotes involved, like so that they can, you know, get multiple sources of information, kind of continue to understand what's going on as far as uh, their draft stock from, you know, multiple people, from teams, from agents, from, you know, people that do draft rankings from all over the place uh, and kind of try to understand, you know, this is what's going on. And a lot of people will say like, oh, you don't want agents involved. They're slimy. But, you know, there are some agents that aren't really slimy. Like there are some that will give you, you know, a straight answer. So well, I is, don't know. It, it, I'm not a. It is crazy on like a very basic level that we they're are the gatekeepers of information. Like they will tell you. Well, like it, it is it is crazy that we 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 think it is proper to have 18 and 19 year old. Making choices, like uh, making, what are you doing? Making big, like <laughs> like really deciding between giving up an education, um, and and scholarship and cost of attendance stipend and all the stuff that you get if you're a Division One college basketball player, or uh, on the other side, like a possible multi million dollar contract. The idea that yeah. we ask them to make those decisions without representation, like I don't I don't make professional decisions without representation. Like I, I wouldn't I, I I used to. And I, I, I made a bunch of bad ones. So I said, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. Like if I, yeah. I'm an educated like husband and father and o- old man, and I still won't make a big life decision without having some sort of representation involved. And yet we ask 18 yeah. and 19 year olds to do it. It just seems, uh, it seems silly. Like that's, I, I would be all for it. I know people would uh, push back. You can't let agents, I think, I think kids making big, big decisions with lots of money on the table should probably have agents um, helping them, helping. uh, Yeah, like here's the thing, like Isaiah Briscoe, this draft has the most difficult decision, in my opinion, out of any player in this draft, Isaiah Briscoe is going to have the toughest choice as far as what he has to do. Because on one hand, he's like a 20 year old freshman, first and foremost, like he's a pretty old freshman that didn't have a great year, didn't really get to play his natural position of point guard. And, you know, teams kind of, you know, forgot, forget about him, but like, he's not in that great place right now. Uh, as far as his draft stock, like he was potential first round pick coming into the year. He's decidedly not that now. However, if he returns to Kentucky, like he got recruited over this time around because they have De'Aaron Fox, they have Malik Monk. He'd be at best the third like guard off the bench. And who knows how much time he would get in that regard because De'Aaron Fox is really good. Um, so what do you do in that case? Like transferring isn't really an option because he'd be then a 22 year old putting his name in the draft as opposed to a 20 year old. So there's going to be a pushback to that already. Like that kid has an impossible decision right now and he has to do it by himself by what the NCAA rules are saying. Essentially that is insane to me. There are so many, you know, weights that he has to put in place as far as his personal situation that I don't know about, certainly. And, you know, this is a kid that I've, you know, talked to in media scrums before, and he seems like an intelligent kid by all means. But, but, like, he's, still, but he's still a kid. I don't care how intelligent. It's still a 20-year-old yeah. kid. I don't you know, care how like, intelligent you are. It's still incredibly yeah. difficult. At 20 years old, having to make that decision without, exactly. without proper representation is like, it's another flaw in the NCAA system. Like, I would be all for players being able to have uh agents like we'd have to work it out but like i just think making decisions like this without proper representation is um it it's it's a it's a difficult thing to ask young people to do let's switch gears real quick norlander um north carolina got its amended notice of allegations from the ncaa earlier this week uh tell us what we need to know about it well i mean i'm surprised uh the biggest thing is that men's basketball and football are not named in the latest amended updated notice of allegations, which renders the previous one, which was handed out last May, <clears throat> almost a year ago, uh, moot. All that notice of allegations, just you know, throw it away. It's gone forever. It doesn't matter. So now th- there's a couple conversations going on. I-, I still believe that the men's basketball program will be punished in some form. I will also say that I I was wrong. I was very firmly under the belief that because of the fact that you had more than 150 players with UNC uh, or 150 enrollments among players in phony classes just since Roy Williams became coach, 
And because there were so many players tied to this, and it wasn't just players, I understand that, but I thought that because the NCAA jump-started its investigation again and the allegations were so serious and you had so many people speaking out, I believe that one of two things was going to happen. Either a banner was going to come down or a postseason ban was going to happen. I'm now saying that I was wrong because it is hard to deduce how when you don't even have men's basketball explicitly and specifically named, a lot of this is now women's basketball that that handle a lot of these charges. And there are still heavy charges coming upon the university, but it's broader. It's it's the athletic department. It's women's basketball. There's nothing against Williams. There's nothing against the football program. There's nothing against men's basketball. And because of this, and, you know, there's a lot of failure to monitors, I just don't believe that a heavy punishment is going to come. And my takeaway from this... Well, let, me, let me ask you we, this. Let me stop you for a second okay. and ask you this. Okay. Um, okay, I, I agree with you. I don't think a heavy punishment is going to come. And, and I'll give Roy Williams credit for at least, like... Uh, he he's been saying this for a long time. Like you 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 guys have it all wrong. Like you think you think we're gonna get killed and we're not going to. And uh, so so I he's been, he was right. He was saying this all last summer, and it appears that he's gonna be correct. So the punishment comes down. It's not going to hammer men's basketball. People are going to go crazy. Here's my question: yes. Should they? Should people go crazy? Is that gonna be a bad moment for the NCAA? And I don't mean should people just go crazy because, like, go crazy. Like, will it be smart to go crazy? Will, will, is the NCAA, if, if it lets men's basketball, uh, for lack of a better cliche, off the hook for the most part, it, will the people who scream this is insane be right to scream it? I think they will be because, uh, listen, there are I, – I have no doubt that the NCAA and its heart of hearts and its Committee on Infractions – wanted to do as much justice in this case as it possibly could, but there was a whole hell of a lot of lawyering up on both sides. And I just, and and let's remember that the NCAA Committee on Infractions tried to pin a lot of these classes under the impermissible benefit umbrella. That doesn't seem like it's going to be able to hold much water. Let's also acknowledge the fact that similar to the Syracuse case, we have an adjusted timeline here, okay? The original notice of allegations targeted the UNC um, sham classes and the culture of this happening between the athletic department and athletes and students and everything at Chapel Hill from 1993 through 2011. And now it starts in the fall of 2005 up through 2011. So one even if by some chance the the COI completely shocks us and and were to take away a banner, which I don't think would happen, the the fact is the 05 one, which was more, which had more scrutiny under it because it had Rashad McCants on that team, and McCants has m- repeatedly spoken about how he didn't do his work, how other people did his work, and and it happened all over that team with all sorts of guys. And to be fair, that those those former players strongly just called McCants crazy and said, no, he's lying. We don't believe him and whatnot. I believe Still, every, I fa- be- he is crazy. That's true. I don't believe he was lying. I don't believe he was lying either. Um, but the fact that we have an adjusted timeline here, I think is extremely significant. Yes, people should be up in arms over this because ultimately I believe that if this case plays out to where – you know, three years probation, maybe a scholarship lost per year for UNC and throw in one other crap, non-consequential penalty. I actually think it will become one of the most memorable cases and infamous cases for the NCAA because the evidence that is piled up in regard to the sham classes and how many, I mean, I can't emphasize enough how many football and basketball players were enrolling in these classes and no, it wasn't just for them. There were regular students that were in the classes, but proportionate to the numbers of which athletes were taking them undeniably that there was something going on for well over a decade here. And for the NCAA not to be able to connect that to its own bylaws and its own punishments if you want to get super litigious with this and say ultimately this has to be what has to be done to be to be fair to the NCAA's black book, I get it. But I'm just telling you the broad takeaway from this, if we head toward that, is just going to be a, a hideous look for the NCAA specifically because it's such a huge program and because the NCAA, let's remember, is in a new 
structure of an enforcement. It's in a new era. The Syracuse punishments actually came before all of that. And so for if we're going to head to that, and by the way, I don't even know when we're going to have total resolution on this. I thought it was going to be happening by the end of the summer. I just don't even know if that's going to be the case now. I just think it's going to end up being a really bad look for the NCAA and people that are oh, going to be mad they, 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 and cynical. Think, there's no way it'll be before the end of the summer. They get 90 days to respond. Exactly. So like they're yes. going to take the full 90, uh, presumably, and then and then and then they got to schedule the committee on a fractions hearing. I mean, it's going to be a yes. while. It'll be well into. It is. Yeah. <laughs> I do. It, Two more quick things, Gary. Um, what was funny was when this got released last year, the NOA. Uh, UNC took a couple of weeks to release everything here in the case where it, the punishments, while still severe, are kind of or the, um, the the allegations within the notice are still heavy because they lack anything significant with men's basketball or football. Um, UNC turned this all around and released the, the, the notice within a matter of hours uh, to me, which indicates that while it's taking everything seriously and isn't exactly boasting about the fact that it's still in the midst of all this, um, it's not exactly hesitant to share the fact that it just, I believe it's confident that men's basketball and football are going to dodge being punished here. And it's unfortunate. Uh, and this is going to be something that I just, I just think this will be a landmark case for the worst for the NCAA. Yeah. They couldn't wait to, to get that uh, notice of allegations released. Let me ask you this. And, and this is a, a, probably an oversimplified way of looking at it, but I, I think it's at least interesting. If you um, go look at the Southern Miss case where they just buried Donnie Tindall. And I, uh, let me be clear, I'm not defending anything that happened. Like it was academic fraud all in a variety of ways. Um, but and, and there was a ton of circumstantial evidence about Donnie. And I'm not going to try to tell you he's an angel or that he wasn't involved or that he didn't orchestrate any of it. I, if other people want to tell you that, they can. I'm, I'm not getting involved in guilt or innocence. But what I found interesting was to the extent that they were able to tie Donnie Tindall to the actual stuff, it was mostly connected to the word of one person, a guy named Adam Howard, who was with him at Southern Miss. Donnie took him to Tennessee. Adam Howard got caught lying to the NCAA while at Tennessee. That's the Bruce Pearl no-no. So Tennessee fired him. I think they, I think he resigned for personal reasons, but they, they fired him. And then uh, the NCAA cut a deal with him. And they said, hey, uh, we'll give you immunity if you if you talk on Donnie Tindall. So suddenly he's got this this elaborate story. Um, suddenly he's got this elaborate story about Donnie Tindall did this, Donnie Tindall did that, Donnie Tindall did this, Donnie Tindall did that. And again, I, I don't, I, I, he, he's probably telling the truth, I guess. Um, but my point is the NCAA used the testimony in, largely of, of this one person to bury Donnie Tindall. Why? Wouldn't the NCAA even consider using the testimony of Rashad McCants to bury Roy Williams or somebody else? Like, what? How can you? How can you justify taking Adam Howard's word? First off, after he lied to you initially, but then you cut a deal with him, so then he's got a new story, and you use that to bury Donnie Tindall. Why completely ignore Rashad McCants? I can't answer that. I, I don't. I I don't know. There's got to be a, a certain. Uh... Lack of like if you were Donnie Tindall, like, uh, 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 what, what, what more of a lack of credibility than hey we talked to Adam Howard the first time he lied we talked to him the second time he lied then we offered him a deal and he told us what I, we wanted to hear like didn't that like it's a, a, it's a great question and I I am under the uh, impression here that with the UNC case even unlike the Southern Miss case you have who knows how many people have been interviewed for this UNC case. And I can't believe that it's only, you know, it was only McCants. It clearly wasn't. They, they had um, plenty of people that were aware of, of what this was happening. You had the former academic advisor who came out and, and spoke out about this, who subsequently was really shouted down by the UNC fans. And that got kind of to be an ugly place overall, to be honest. Um, I don't know. I, I, I simply, it's, like it's if you were if that, you were Donnie Tindall, wouldn't you be going crazy right now? Yes, certainly. Like, like I got the, I got a ten year show cause, lost literally millions of dollars, uh, because the NCAA took the word of Adam Howard, um, and yet they won't even take they wouldn't even consider taking the word of Rashawn McCants. And I'm not trying to tell you Rashawn McCants isn't just as crazy as everybody says he is, but but to ignore him when you have buried other people off of the testimony of, of really just one person. Like I, 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 
I'd like for somebody to try to explain that to me. And I bet they'd have a hard time explaining it to me. How do you take Adam Howard, who lied, who, who, his first story was Donnie Tindall didn't know anything. Then his second story was Donnie Tindall didn't know anything. Then Dan Sibley cut a deal with him, granted him immunity, and he said Donnie Tindall knew everything. That's, that, like, okay, how do you take that? And again, Adam Howard probably telling the truth. But how do you build a case, um, a, a, a good part of the case, as it directly ties to Donnie Tindall off of the word of, of Adam Howard? And then you've got Rashad McCants willing to tell basically anybody who will listen, I didn't go to class. I didn't do my work. Yes, men's basketball. My coaches knew about it. And you just say, eh, well, we're not gonna, we're not gonna listen to him at all. Like I can't. If I were Donnie Tindall, I'd be going bananas. Yeah, I don't. I, I think ultimately they might take some of that legitimately. I just wonder if this is ultimately what the NCAA and its lawyers and what UNC and its lawyers have been discussing. Well, that's well, that, that, well, I think that's again. I'm not one of these conspiracy people, but I do think it's better to be North Carolina and Roy Williams than it is to be Southern Miss and Donnie Tindall. Unquestionably, and honestly, if anyone wants to have cynicism to the sky with that, you're totally justified in it with the latest findings. Two more quick things. One, that does not mean UNC won't get hit. I just, I, I can't see how, and I, I wouldn't say I'd love to be wrong. I'm not rooting for Carolina to get smashed. It's more I want consistency with the NCAA because the utter inconsistency of this organization in terms of its punishments uh, can be maddening. But um, I think what hap- what's happened here is that the NCAA's lawyers have looked at the case that we have here, and it's super tangled, and it's never punished any program that's had incidents mixed with student-athletes and regular students on campus and academic fraud, and how do you punish that when it's an academic institution? And the one time that the NCAA really stepped you know, outside its jurisdiction and started really punishing a program and going really hard at it with a, a situation, honestly, that was um, in many ways even worse, was the Penn State case. And what happened there, well, the NCAA had to walk back on some of that stuff and since then um, has kind of acknowledged that it, it can't really just suddenly be, you know, the lord of everything. Mark Emmert has spoken publicly about some of the mistakes in terms of punishments that were handed down with Penn State. Now, this is not an apples-to-apples case here, but my guess is because they could have foreseen uh, a lot of stalls, even potential lawsuits that would have come, they're basically trying to get the best compromise of, of punishments within their books versus what they would really like to do, and I think that's part of why we have a, re- uh, a restricted timeline as well. But, hey, man, this is only a start. Yeah. When, these things, when this punishment comes down... Uh, we're going to be talking about it again, and if anything short of a postseason ban or a, or a banner getting taken away, people are going to lose their minds. It's just going to happen. It's inevitable. I am uh, confident we will have another podcast uh, dedicated and devoted to the subject. Um, couple of, can can more... I be quiet during the, that entire podcast as well? Yeah, sure, sure. You can just, I'd be happy to, honestly. Just, 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 <laughs> just mute yourself. Hey, um, a couple more things before we get out of here, and let's make these quickly because we're already at 38 minutes. Um, sure. I want to touch on a couple of things you guys have, have posted over the past uh, week. Uh, first, Sam, uh, your story on Washington State and the restrictions it's putting on a transfer. I think you and I are on the same page here. Um, you never win doing this. First off, it's it's um, I I, th- I think fundamentally wrong. Like why why are we restricting um, amateur athletes? Why why are we restricting amateur students? Uh, I, I just think like nobody's ever been able to convince me um, or pro- intelligently explain to me why that's an okay thing to do. Like I don't even like that the, we'll have to sit out a year. I think I think transfers should be able to move whenever they want to move. I don't like you know I don't care. Uh, I, I, but, on that. but like, but like, we don't. The NCAA has its rule, and then schools put restrictions. And we saw it. Uh, I, I don't know about most recently, but uh, last summer with Memphis and Austin Nichols, and then Austin Nichols fought it, and then Austin Nichols got his way. Memphis had to cave. Do you suspect Washington State at some point will cave as well? Yes. <laughs> as soon as Valentine Azundu gets a lawyer, Washington State's going to cave. No college wants to take this to court. Like that, there's. I don't know. I am not a legal expert by any means. I don't know how it would end in court, but I know that nobody wants a court case about it. Like, there's just no way that ends well for anyone involved. 
the story here, if you guys haven't read the story online uh, on CBSSports.com, you should. Uh, Valentine Azundu is a 6'11 center who averaged 3.8 points per game last year and was like Pac-12 all-academic team. And Ernie Kent is basically telling him. So is that very good, he, but he's really, really smart. Right. Like he's he's a fine basketball player. He's a good defensive basketball player. Uh, and in a transfer market where there are not a lot of big men around, you know, he's a guy that's going to have value. Uh, he's not like going to drastically change the hopes of anyone, but he's also a guy that you could see like getting 20 minutes a game next year at a lot of spots. Um, Ernie Kent is basically telling him that because he went to, or he suspects basically that San Diego State has tampered with Izundu. Part of the reason behind that is, is that Izundu and uh, one of his teammates, Q Johnson, uh, went to a San Diego State game while they were on spring break in San Diego. Like one of his friends got them tickets and they went with a friend and like had no contact with the coaching staff. They just went to, you know, hang out and have a good time in San Diego State. And what Izundu told me is that uh, I've never talked to anyone at San Diego State, any one of them. But since Ernie Kent knows I want to go there, he blocked me because he's mad and I'm leaving. Like, it, it just seems petty to me. And it is like petty. Everyone it that's petty. It is to, petty. To anyone that has read anything about this story, there is nothing about it that rings as not being petty. It's ridiculous to me. There's no reason to restrict a kid that has done all of the right things for you over the last year, uh, made the all-academic team, has a 3.0 GPA, uh, you know, isn't particularly happy at Washington State. Like, he's a kid that transferred in from Houston, was at Washington State for, you know, a year and a half and kind of just doesn't really like being in Washington. So, like, this is a situation where he's just he just generally wants to leave and go elsewhere. Uh, to restrict him from doing so is unbelievably ridiculous to me. Like, I don't even care. Like, let's let, let's just throw in a hypothetical. I don't, I mean, personally, from what Izundu has told me, I do not believe that San Diego State is tampered. I, I will say that unequivocally. But even if they did, who cares? Okay. Like, it's not like... It's not like these coaches, it's not like Ernie Kent, for instance. I'm sure that when Washington State hired or fired Ken Bone last year or two years ago, uh, it's not like they probably didn't reach out to Ernie Kent beforehand to like kind of gauge his interest. That happens all the time in these job hunts for coaches. It happens all the time in job hunts for school presidents. It happens all the time in the real world where you kind of reach out and kind of figure out what's going on uh, and whether or not you might be a fit at a certain place, either before or after uh, a coach is fired. It's ridiculous to hold these athletes to the same standard uh, within a tampering charge. It's just insane to me. Yeah. I've got, I've, I've, I'm, I'm consistent with this situation. Um, if, if somebody wants to transfer and they, they, you know, then they should be allowed to transfer the same way when my children get to college and if they want to change schools for some reason, um, then, then they'll be able to there. Everybody thinks allowing transfers to move year to year if they want to would be like the end of civilization. But like there's inherent disadvantages to, to changing schools. Most most people don't want to do it. Um, yes, yeah, some would and it would make college coaches jobs harder. I don't care. Like, uh, you know, ultimately coaches, I know they have buyouts, but ultimately they can, they're, they're free to move around whenever they want to move around. Um, I, I really have never seen a coach who wanted to take a job, not be able to take a job because of some buyout. Like if they want to get it done, they get it done. Um, I, I, I think student athletes should be treated uh, uh, similarly in, the, in, the, in this sense. Uh, I don't even think they should have to sit out if they transfer. But if we're at least going to have the NCAA rule that says you have to sit a year if you move, um, I, I, don't, I was going to say fine. I don't think it's fine. I wish that would change. But whatever. That, that's the rule. I can Any school ever putting a restriction on anybody is wrong. And I will scream about it every single time. And here's the thing. Even if you disagree with me, uh, history shows that most people end up caving anyway. So why fight the fight? You're going to lose. It's a public relations nightmare. You never yep. come out looking good. Just, just So just avoid the fight because you're going to lose the fight. Um, so hopefully uh, uh, Washington State will, will do the right thing uh, soon. And if not, uh, we'll keep talking about it and writing about it and tweeting about it. And, and hopefully other people will. 
to continue to put pressure on them to do the right thing. Do the right thing on your own yeah. or, or cave to the pressure. It doesn't matter to me, but ultimately, just, just do the right thing. Uh, Norlander, you had a piece on DeAndre Ayton, who is a, a, a terrific five-star prospect. And uh, what's fascinating about him is that n almost nobody is recruiting him. Why? Yeah. <laughs> kind of weird, right? Um, so, yeah, he's uh, not only is he a terrific five-star prospect, but he is the consensus number one kid in the class of 2017. And by consensus, I mean, if you check every major recruiting service right now, he's listed as a number one player. That doesn't happen with every single class. For example, right now there's – Plenty of dispute over between you know Harry Giles and Josh Jackson in the in the class of 2016. In in Wiggins' year, remember Jabari Parker was originally considered uh, the number one player in that class. You usually have a plenty, and there might end up, eventually end up being uh, something of a of a competition there. But right now, it's Aiton is considered the best. He's like a six ten guy, really athletic, can defend, can step out and shoot, uh, really strong already. He's he's from Arizona, so it's it's weird because. Kansas, so he, he played last week, and after he played, you know, as has become normal in, in modern media, basically, uh, there are plenty of media members that will go to these events, even in April. Like, not even during the thick of July when we go out and we see prospects, and, the, and there's plenty of media there. Even in April when these guys are playing at shoe deal-sponsored or organized events, they will speak to media. And so, as is custom, he ends the game, and he's got you know anywhere from three to six to ten reporters around him just asking him boilerplate questions, and he offers up the information that the only school that's really calling him now is Kansas, whereas opposed to Kentucky and Duke, Arizona, which had, had been previously seemingly involved, those that interest has seemingly cooled. Well, this is extremely abnormal, okay? We're talking about the number one player in his class. Why has that happened? Well, there are two factors at play. Sam mentioned the Thon Maker thing with Maker bypassing college altogether because of eligibility issues. There's some speculation because of uh, he goes to a place called Hillcrest Academy. Um, I believe Marvin, Marvin Bagley Jr., who's another prospect uh, who's kind of has a kind of a crazy story. He's kind of been all over the place uh, attended there. There's just general concerns right now for if he would be immediately eligible. To me, that doesn't hold a lot of water because guess what? Big-time schools have a lot of interest in a lot of players, and they basically will back out near the last minute if, if there's still some questions. When you're still this early on, and he's a class of 2017 guy, for, for schools to be backing off this soon doesn't seem, to, it doesn't seem to make too much sense. The other thing is, well, by the time that he is ready to go to school, will he be old enough where he can just, if he simply wants to opt to bypass college altogether and declare for the NBA, is that something that he might consider doing? There's also talk of that as well. Um, so those are the two reasons that, that he's not being seemingly uh, pursued. Now, I fully acknowledge that there could still be plenty of, of tremendous interest from, uh, from the best of the best and from the biggest programs in the country. But the kids' words right now are that he doesn't – I'm paraphrasing. He hasn't been hearing from Kentucky and Duke. He hasn't been hearing from any major school except for Kansas. He doesn't get it. He doesn't. He would like to be recruited, but you know what? He's just going to keep playing, keep doing his own thing. I don't think he would lie and out and out tell reporters this if it wasn't happening. At the same time, I'm sure that all those big schools still have some level of interest, but maybe they're reorganizing their interest, so to speak. But it is. Hey, listen, it's the end of April. It is a super weird story. You just don't really ever see this. And um, I will also, you know, be transparent in that I don't know this the ins and outs of this kid's story. Like I, there could be one very interesting element to his recruitment that I'm not yet privy to. Um, haven't spoken to people around him yet, but nonetheless, dude, this is just, it's just bizarre. You you have a kid that's just seen as with, without a doubt, just a lock to be a top 10 pick whenever he decides to leave and in, you know, possibly even higher than that. And yet it's only Bill Self right now. And if he did, by the way, if he did go to college and, he, and Self got him, that would be three of the past five or six recruiting classes where Self would have landed the number one overall recruit. Um, yeah, I, I remember, let me kind of hop in here yeah, because, you know, I, I was just with him up at Hoop Summit in Portland. Yeah. Um, this kid is a freak. Uh, if you were literally building a basketball player in a lab, this is who you would build. He is a seven-foot-tall kid with a seven-foot-six wingspan who can go out and shoot threes. He can rebound. He's... I don't know that I want to say he's like tough inside yet, but he's getting there. He's 235 pounds. Like this is the kid that you want. The problems are that a, 
he doesn't have a motor uh, at all. Like that entire week at Hoop Summit, if you ask anyone that was there, he barely seemed like he cared while he was there. And that's been a recurring problem, apparently, uh, for his recruitment. Like he, he just he's really hot and cold this weekend or this past weekend when he was dominating everybody and, you know, apparently looking great on the high school level. Uh, that's one of his hot weekends. That weekend that I saw him at Hoop Summit, it was very cold. And a lot of people, despite his, you know, clear, clear physical attributes that would make him the number one overall pick in most any draft like that. He is that good. That is not a an exaggeration by any means. He's that athletic. He has that kind of dimension. He has that kind of uh, skill. He is a number one pick based on skill in just about any draft. Um, teams are also very wary about his eligibility issues right now. I, I'm not going to pretend to uh, be in there and knowing the ins and outs of that, but a lot of people that I've spoken to think that there is a good chance he will not be eligible to play college basketball. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just a whole bunch of factors in, in play and, 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 and coaches weigh the pros and cons of uh, right. wasting their time. Um, right. Obviously, Bill Self has been through, um, you know, the hey, are we going to be able to get this kid eligible situation uh, a million times? It feels like uh, most recently with Diallo. And so, like, hey, it's it's worth the trouble for us. We get it done. We get it done. If we don't, whatever. It, it, it did sort of remind me for different reasons. Uh, I remember Michael Kid Gilchrist, like, you know, in high school, sort of saying, I, I, nobody's recruiting me. And it was because everybody just understood he was going to play for John Calperi. Like, it didn't. It, it, it like it didn't matter if John was at Memphis or John was at Kentucky. Uh, Michael K. Gilchrist was going to play for John Calipari, and so he had this kid who was a you know consensus top five player in the country and future number two pick in the draft, and nobody nobody recruited him because it's just like it, we're not going to waste our time uh, with this. And so uh, Aiden's story will be. Uh, uh, I, 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 I'm not, I wasn't, I'm not surprised to read what Matt wrote. That, or not surprised to hear him say, you nope. know, the, the interest isn't there right now because, listen, everybody would clearly like to have him. It's just that people are skeptical that they'll ever actually have him. Would he be eligible? Would, will he even go to college, period? Like, like, he could choose to go to college, then be ineligible. He could choose to just not go to college at all. Um, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff in play. So, um, yeah. trust, trust me, the, the college coaches uh, know what they're know what they're doing well it's uh, uh we started this uh conversation before we hit record wondering hey is there anything really to talk about and here we are uh basically never, an fail. never fell shout out to devin downey oh god shout out to devin downey got you that was terrifying we almost missed it i really was about to forget it completely holy crap that was a close call norlander good catch Gotcha. I got you. Don't I, worry. I appreciate you having my back, and uh, we'll do this. Uh, you, next... you need to just write that down in your notes now, GP. Like, you need to just write out. In fact, I'm going to type. Shout it. out to Devin Downey at some t- point. I'm type it in right now. Shout out to Devin Downey right here beside DeAndre Ayton, DeAndre Ayton's name, and the Washington State transfer and 117 underclassmen in the NBA draft. Uh, none of whom are named Ivan Rab. Those are my notes right now. I've got an Ivan Rab note, a DeAndre Ayton note, a Washington State note, and a shout-out to Devin Downey note. Shout-out to Devin Downey for real. We will be back uh, next week. And whether we have anything to talk about, uh, we'll probably get an hour out of it. So uh, if you haven't subscribed to the Ion College Basketball Podcast, go do that. We'll talk to you later. Bye.